This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of -of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Alabama. And I'm Joe Newton. Our guest today is Ellie Shehead. She's the author of two books, One Year After, and the current new book is The Beauty of a Grieving Mother. Ellie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me to uh, participate in your show and share my story. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. You know, Ellie, as I was thinking about how to begin <laughs> this interview, uh, it seemed quite challenging, but you lost your daughter, Alina, you know, through a tragic tragic event that you'll talk about. Um, apparently she was in school studying, uh, I read somewhere, studying to be a physical therapist, uh, in a sense, a healer. And uh, so I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So how are you coping now? It's, it's coming to four years, uh, the fourth year anniversary. It's... It's so much story behind and um, how, I, how I can begin my story. Mm, definitely, I feel different now, much different. And uh, I have learned so much uh, going through my grieving process and uh, through my pain, I have opened to the new possibilities to new experiences. And um, I went through spiritual awakening process as well. And uh, I developed a completely different understanding about life and death. And like I said, I have learned so much, so much. Can you tell a story of what... uh why it is that you're grieving. I'm not sure everybody will uh, know what it is that took place in your life. And would you be willing to share that? Maybe a little bit uh, my background, okay? Originally, I'm from Russia. I was born and grew up in Russia. I got married at a pretty young age. I was 19. And uh, my husband, he was a major of Russian army. And uh, it's not like he was going to the war or anything like that. He was and he still is a construction engineer. So he was building houses in the military. And uh, when I was 20, I had my first baby, a beautiful son. And when I was 25, Alina was born, our baby girl. Uh, Beautiful life, beautiful family, happy happy marriage. And uh, when I was pregnant with Alina, my husband's parents, they moved uh, to the United States. And they started telling us all the beautiful stories about how incredible, how beautiful life is here in the United States. And we started thinking to join them here in Pittsburgh. It wasn't an easy decision, especially for my husband, uh, because he had a 
such a beautiful, uh, successful career as a military officer. But anyway, both of us, we wanted to a better future for our kids and uh, we wanted to provide them a better, better life um, in the United States. Mm. So um, in, at the end of 2000, year of 2000, we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we joined our husband's, uh, my husband's uh, family. Well, it wasn't that easy um, to adopt new life, to adjust. Uh, everything was different, obviously, and language was the uh, major barrier. It was a huge problem. No problem, just we had to learn and adjust. And um, all of us, both of us, uh, my husband and I and my children, we have to study hard. We have to learn, uh, work hard. And by the uh, year of 2017, after 17 years of us being in the United States, we were doing pretty well as a family, as uh, uh, each of us individually. My husband and I, we both uh, had uh, great uh, jobs, great positions, uh, and we still are working at steel uh, companies. My husband, he is uh, in 2017, let's talk about 2017. He was an engineer at a large mining company in Pittsburgh, and uh, I did and still do financing and accounting at a large um, insurance agency in downtown Pittsburgh. Our son, Artem, in 2017, he had um, graduated from college, University of Pittsburgh. He was married at the time and uh, his wife and uh, him, they just had a baby, like so. <laughs> yes, a beautiful baby girl, her name is Angelina. And uh, actually Alina, she was uh, in the delivery room and mm. she was helping her sister-in-law and her brother to welcome their newborn baby into this life. And uh, it was beautiful, beautiful experience. And uh, we were so happy. And 2017, Alina was 20. She was a student of University of Pittsburgh and uh, she wanted to be a doctor of physical therapy. Alina danced for the whole life, um, all of her life. She was a beautiful, beautiful dancer, singer, and uh, performer. And she performed um, all over the city of Pittsburgh. And obviously she kept us busy. We had to participate in all of her, sh all of her shows and uh, competitions. Well, seems like a beautiful life, right? Mm. All, our, all our goals, all our fairy tale stories. Uh, um, and looked like in 2017, uh, as a parents, we had built the solid foundation for our kids to um, move forward in life independently. Mm. But unfortunately, 
end of 2017, um, shockingly, unexpectedly, tragically, for um, we lost our baby girl. And uh, Alina is a victim of domestic violence. And um, she lost her life in a senseless act of violence. Her ex-boyfriend, whom she had the active PFA, uh, protection from abuse order, um, he violated the order. He broke into her house in the middle of the night. And uh, when she was peacefully sleeping in her bedroom, and he killed her. And the way he killed her, if I can share all those details, now I'm so open to talk about it. He had a claw hammer and uh, two knives. And he completely, completely destroyed her beautiful face. And the next morning, my husband and I, we found her. So we didn't get a call from the police how it usually happens in the situations like this. We personally, we found her. And well, in a blink of an eye, our world had turned upside down. Uh, we were completely destroyed, like completely destroyed. We had no idea how to uh, keep going with life, how to continue our life what to do and how to deal with everything happened. Nothing made any sense. And, um, and honestly, I didn't think we would survive. Um, and uh, often we thought, my husband and I, we thought about taking our own lives. And uh, believe it or not, we came up with so many um, creative ideas how we could do that. Yes, and like, wow, and that's how grief makes you feel. Yes, um, yes. You don't, you don't care. Like, no. you you just don't care. You just want to escape. We just, you know, we have son, we have our granddaughter, we have family, but you just, like, it's completely, you just don't care. And, um, well, it will be four years next month, or uh, next year, and, uh, I'm still here. My husband is still here. And uh, not only we are surviving, we are thriving. And uh, with God's help, with our daughter's guidance, we, we, uh, we learned how to move forward and uh, how to... Uh, how to deal with all those feelings and emotions and uh, and her spirit, her energy is still here. I can feel it. I <laughs> she's all over me, like her energy, and uh, she she inspires me. She guides me. She talks to me telepathically. Okay, and like I said, there is so much to tell. Like so much to tell, and we communicate on daily uh she communicates with me through the signs i get i get signs from her like 
it's insane. Sometimes I just feel, oh my God, Alina, how do you do that? Like, it's impossible, like, to see what we see and what she does, what amazing signs she sends. One of the beautiful signs she sends, um, number 77, because her birthday is July 7, 1997. So 7797. So we started seeing seven, like, everywhere. And every time we drive, my husband and I, we drive every single time. The moment we uh, jump into highway or any roads, like the next moment, the car with the plate number 77 on, it will just jump in front of us. Mm. And at first it felt uh, like, oh, that's such a coincidence. Okay, such a coincidence. But it happens Every single time. Now we know, oh, that's Alina. That's our daughter says hello. And uh, it's funny if some, if let's say like we park somewhere and the car next to ours has 77 on on its plate number. And if there is no car, I would just sarcastically joke, wow, Alina, how come like you're not here? And (laughs) when we get back, like whatever shopping or whatever, whatever we are, we're getting back. The car next to us, seven seven on its plate. So, where did you begin that that understanding? How did that come to you after such a horrific tragedy? <sighs> yes, um, from the moment I saw my daughter and whatever was done to her, and uh, I just could not believe it. My brain, my mind, like. I rejected the thought, like I knew what happened, but my brain, like I could not believe it. And I could not believe my daughter was gone. Like how could she be gone? For 20 years we had her and uh, she was doing well in life and she was having, um, like reaching out her goals. And I was thinking, what for? Like what for? I just couldn't, I could not accept it. I couldn't believe it she could just go on. So I started looking for her. Obviously, I could not accept her death. Not like death. I don't even want to call it death. Like she disappeared. And uh, I knew she was somewhere. And I desperately, desperately wanted Mm. to find her. So I I wasn't a religious person like for the whole of my life and especially living in the USSR and with like, we had different beliefs, but obviously not, we were not religious country back then. And uh, like I said, I desperately needed to find her. And I started reading books about the afterlife. And uh I started watching uh, YouTube about near-death experiences and what people shared about their experiences. I I started learning about mediumship and I even took a few classes, mediumship classes. Um, Like I said, I read like a thousand books about this topic and... uh, I slowly, slowly started realizing like, wow, okay. And uh, so that's the truth all about our life. And uh, it brought me peace. 
And then um, I became member of the club no one wants to be a member of. It's a grieving, bereaved parents club. And it's a, uh, you can find uh, so many support groups on Facebook. So I started following those groups and I started reading all those stories from the other moms and what happened to their children. And it made me think, wow, all those beautiful children, those beautiful faces, like how could all of them be just gone? Like, it, it's impossible. Like, like, I, like I couldn't like comprehend. And it, don't get me wrong, at some point it brought me mm, peace. Not like how to explain, like I knew my daughter was there with all those children. Like she wasn't the only one. And I wasn't the only one parent like mm -hmm. that. So it, br it, it brought me peace, like knowing she's there with all of them. I have no idea where, but all of them somewhere. It's not like all of them are gone. They are, they still exist. Okay. Like I said, I started doing research and uh, I got so many proofs. And in my book, one year after, I share so many stories, so many um, my study resources, um, my teachers and uh, authors, mediums. I had, um, and uh, doing all that research made me to, how do you explain? Um, I adopted my new belief because my old my old belief system obviously did not support my uh, survival and uh, my grieving process. So I had to adopt a new belief. Okay, mm -hmm. there is something up there. There is a different reality, the higher realm, and uh, all of us. We came from there to earth and all of us at some point we will go back there it brought me peace it, uh, it made me feel comfortable uh, that my new belief all those proofs all those stories from other people but it wasn't enough i wanted to get my own experiences so i started um i had a few Readings with mediums, beautiful experiences, beautiful validations. Alina came through and uh, I um, share some of those stories in my book. And then um, I had amazing, shocking experience of past life regression. So I... Through the hypno, uh, hypnosis, whatever you pronounce, and um, I recalled my past life and why I have the challenge that uh, um, that different that difficult situation in my life, like why. So, uh, Ellie, your book. Um one year after from grief to hope is really uh, 
It's well written and I encourage you. And if you haven't read it, please get a copy of that book. Uh, Talk to us. I mean, you've taken us on a journey of your grief work and you have now a new relationship with your daughter, a continuing bond in a very, very special way. Um, Yes. But how did you uh, finally face that process of grief and then start going back to work? I'm sure uh, it was tough. Yes, it was tough. So I'm still grieving. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to grieve my daughter until my last breath. But I learned how to grieve differently in a healthy way. Okay. So I learned how to shift the pain into love. And when, when we grieve... Uh, what grief is, how to explain grief? Um, we grieve because we can't, we can't express love to our loved ones because they are no longer physically here and we feel so much love and we're unable to express and that's why we feel so much pain. And what I learned, how to express that love to, my, to Alina through my passions and uh, it feels like the more I feel pain and grief, the, the more I feel love to her. So you just shift that grief from, you just shift that grief into different channel from pain to love. And you express love. You release your all the negative emotions, your your tears, your um, all the pain. You express through love what you do for your loved one. Yeah, with that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Berman, you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Uh, early in your book, One Year After, From, Ho- uh, from Grief to Hope, uh, you, in Chapter 8, you talk about going to Alina's room. And how did you uh, process that? Oh, well, that was tough. That was really tough. Um... Uh, we had to we have to clean that room and uh, that place where the tragedy happened um, and uh, I didn't think I could go there again and my husband was going to there uh, by himself and uh, my son wanted to help and uh, I thought no way no freaking way I would ever cross uh, the doorway in that house. 
And surprisingly, surprisingly for my own self, uh, the day before, I could hear, I always hear the voice of the background in my mind, always. You have to do it. Like, go, you just have to do it. And, and surprisingly for my husband, I said, okay, I'll do it. I didn't know and I could not understand why I needed to go there. I don't know. And at that time, I was, I still was in the deep, deep state uh, in, sh- in shock. I was in shock, in disbelief. And uh, I could not accept anything from what happened. My husband did. He had a different reaction. But I rejected everything. And I kind of stuck and you can't, you can't stop. You have to go through that process. You have to feel everything, every single emotion, every single feeling. Like you have to let yourself feel that and release. And I know it sounds so scary. Maybe I was afraid to get those emotions and feelings. And somehow, someone... <laughs> God, my daughter, my spirit guides, they pushed me to go. So I went there and um, um, the landlord um, of that house, he gave us a private time. And uh, so my husband let me go there first. And um, as I walked up the stairs, because Alina's room was on the second floor, I could feel I started uh, that I, I started getting numb, like numb. And, and I started talking to myself, Ellie, you, you can't be numb. Like, like you can't get numb again. You have to feel that. Like you have to process. You have to realize what exactly happened. And we went in and I knew exactly where to look. Looked on my right and um, the piece of carpet the size of my daughter was uh, missing, was, uh, was cut off. Uh, I sat on her bed and uh, I was staring at that spot where the body of my daughter was. And um, they were splashes of blood still on the uh, on the wall and she had a huge huge uh, uh, rack of her shoes she had looks like million pair of shoes in her bedroom and uh, they were all uh, covered with blood I wasn't sure what to do with all of her stuff in her bedroom and uh, and I had that feeling if my daughter had left that house, she needed all that stuff with her. I couldn't bring this stuff home. I couldn't give it to anyone. And uh, don't ask me why, what I felt on that moment. I just felt Alina need all of her shoes. Alina need of her clothes, like everything. So we packed 
everything. We packed everything in the uh, huge garbage bags. And uh, and I said to my husband, and I said, Jan, we, Alina needs that. Our daughter needs all of that stuff. It's hers. It belongs to her. So he asked a few times if I was sure that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I said, yes. I don't know if I did right or wrong, but exactly that's what I felt at that moment. So everything, every single piece of her clothes, everything was there. We packed in a huge garbage bag and uh, we just dumped it in the dumpster uh, near to her house. Um, I brought home a few of her like personal belongings, her purse, um, the little icon she had next to her bed, um, godmother or like some little icon we bought in Russia. We went uh, visit my family last time she got it there. And a couple, couple little things, her personal belongings, uh, but everything else went with her. And I cried, I cried. I sat on her bed and uh, I remembered uh, what happened. I remembered what I saw. I remembered what was done to her. And uh, I cried and I cried and uh, that was bad. That was, that was really bad. And um, when we left the house, um, my husband needed to go to the, to the bank just to, so he left the car, he parked. And um, I was there in the car alone because my husband left. And it's so hard to explain. I started screaming from the top of my lungs, like as loud as I could. And um, I hit the dashboard of the car. I was going absolutely insane. All those stuck energies, that's how I can explain it now. Everything was coming out. I think I was releasing all the negative emotions and feelings that been stuck in me. I like I screamed like, oh my goodness. And uh, and even one gentleman in the car next, he asked if I was okay. Um, well, that's how the grieving process um, makes you feel. And like I said, you have to go through it. You cannot escape it. You cannot ignore it. You cannot distract yourself. You just have to go through it. This is a process. This is a process. Uh, that story you told of your grief reminds me of my story when I found out my dad was dying. And he was out to dinner with my mom, came home from dinner, sat in his chair, and next thing you know, he's in the hospital, and his, as we found out later on, his bowels had died, and so forth. He was, you know, sick on Tuesday and dead on Friday. But I remember coming home after seeing what was going on with my dad. And you're out there screaming and beating the car. I'm mm -hmm. out there walking my dog, and I am screaming to my God, do mm -hmm. not let my dad suffer. 
And I tell you, that was the most freeing, the most aware that I've ever felt the presence of the Holy in my life and actually hearing me. <laughs> and I've, you know, I, it's important for people when they read this book, because I, I mean, you have a, a real purpose for this for no matter how a person dies, that they are going to grieve in all similar fashions. And, and you just gave that one to me as a, as a reminder. Uh, you know, we work with hospice. We have people who we know that their loved one is dying, but it doesn't make it any easier. No, no, it doesn't. And I, I think, you know, I, I hope that people will read this with that in their background, with their back of their mind, thinking, oh, oh that poor lady having to, having to live through all this and continues to live this story. But each of those families we deal with are doing the same thing. Do you agree? Yes, 100%. And uh, this is a natural process. This is a natural process, and uh, it's normal. It's normal mm -hmm. to feel Very that. much so. Yep. yep. And, I, and I hope people get that out of your book if they read this, because it's uh, uh, you're not being you're not doing something supernatural. You're doing something very normal. Exactly. And, and exactly. doing a very wonderful job of grieving, uh, in my in my understanding. Thank you. Yeah. In chapter 11, uh, you write about tattoo. Uh, what role has tattoo played in your healing, in your grieving process? <laughs> my goodness. This is my, this is my best part, probably, tattoo. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, growing up in Russia, okay, back then, in our culture, we were absolutely 100% against, against it. Like, like absolutely, no, you, you can't get a tattoo. It's bad. Like, like it's bad. It's disrespectful. Mm -hmm. So, and here in Alina's generation, and it's so, it's modern. Yeah, it means something. And uh, she wanted to get a tattoo. And she got a huge tattoo on her body and uh, on her uh, on her belly, like on her ribs, and she she wrote in Russian language. In Russian language, uh, she wrote uh, gratitude, gratitude. And I was so mad. I, I'm mad. I didn't talk to her for two weeks. I was so heartbroken. The whole family. We were so mad. Like, how could you do that? It's so disrespectful. Like, I can't believe I was so heartbroken. And I said, I'm not ever, I'm not going to uh, uh, forgive you, like, for that, what you've done. Anyway, you know, with time, she's my daughter. She's my baby girl. So it's okay. I thought, okay, it would be covered. And no one is going to see that uh, stupid in my eyes thing she did for herself. And so she's still beautiful. She's just still my favorite person, my best friend. And anyway, so I, I, uh, I got over and I asked, Alina, can you explain, like, what does it mean? Like, why? Why would you do that? And she said, Mom, I just wanted to express my gratitude to you and dad for everything you have mm -hmm. done to me. This is my way to say thank you and appreciate what you have done for me. And back then, I just could not understand. I said, oh, that's appreciation, but you are shaming me, you know. And then <laughs> I find out later, she secretly got another tattoo and um, she got a little crown on her chest, like little, little tiny crown. And she was hiding that. And uh, 
like accidentally she sent me a picture from the uh being on the beach and she took a selfie and I'm like wow what is that like you know kind of like showing off on her bathing suit she laughed and she said okay she said mom you know uh all my friends um they know what it means um Alina represents like a uh, crown and um it means, she said, it means power, independence, and the strength. And uh, so she had been known uh, uh, in, with her friends for that um, description. That's who she was. And that's how we came up. Um, um, oh, my goodness, I'm going too far. Um all of a sudden, so thinking all about that and what she had said and what it meant for her, I surprisingly for myself, I got an urge, like really strong urge. I want to get a tattoo. I'm like, wow, how did that happen? How can I get a tattoo if I'm absolutely against it? And uh, I was so scared to uh, tell it to my husband. And uh, surprisingly, when I told him immediately, next second, like, he started crying and he said, oh my God, that's that's beautiful. Like, I, I guess he just felt what I felt. So I got a tattoo. I went to the tattoo salon. The same uh, gentleman he, who um, did a tattoo for Alina, uh, he did my, tat my, my tattoo. And what happened there, like, oh my goodness. Uh, his machine, that tool, whatever they used to, uh, you know, like to write. Once in a while, it stopped working like he's doing stuff and like it stopped working he said oh what is that like I don't know what happens it never happened before and then I said oh my god it was my daughter you know like he's playing with his technology with his machine and uh yeah I mean I didn't I wasn't too much into spirituality back then but after I learned all about it and remembering how I was doing how I was getting my first tattoo I said oh my god that was Alina for sure and um uh, and uh, that um, crown, so she had a little, little tiny crown and I got huge one. I just wanted to uh, show off, to be proud, like that's my baby. And so, and it was healing. It was really, really healing. It was therapeutic. And uh, and so often I was walking around the house, you know, like holding my hand. It's like my baby. And it feels like that's my daughter, like my little baby with me. It means so much. It's so meaningful. Like I said, I, it's, I feel connected with. Exactly. Alina. It's a powerful thing to do at times. I mean, you're in the right place at the time that you do it. And, you know, it's something that you feel so contrary to. And that's what I felt too. I mean, yes. I never thought I'd have a tattoo in my life because I only thought drunk sailors got them when they yeah, go out yes. on leave <laughs> and, yes. and put mom yes. on their on their arms. But yeah, yeah, it does mean Amazing. a lot. Amazing feeling, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that would take a little break and we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Saul Abam, and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. 
Uh, in your second book, uh, you came together with a collection of uh, a group of grieving mothers and you wrote this book. Uh, what is the purpose behind it? Um, after I published my first book, one year after, I received uh, positive feedback from many different, from many moms, angel moms. And I learned that so many moms, they wanted to write a book. They wanted to write about their children, but they just didn't know how. Well, so it gave me an idea um, to write this anthology, this collection. I wanted to help other moms to write about their children because I know how therapeutic writing is and I wanted to give them an opportunity to write about their children, to process their stuck energy and just to release uh, feelings, emotions. And uh, I just wanted to help them. So I asked a few moms, angel moms, and I know them through the club. Not all of them um, could participate and uh, not all of them could say yes and do that. Uh, some of them jumped right into this, like immediately they jumped on. Some of the moms, they had to leave in the middle of the project. And um, so they are 10 moms, including me in this collection. And uh, every mom shares her story about her beautiful son or daughter, about what happened, how it happened, and how she was going and still is going through the grieving process, giving an advice. And um, there is no advice. Don't get me wrong. There is no advice. But uh, every mom, she just shares how she did it how she is doing that. And if any other moms can resonate with her, uh, and if any other mom will find that information helpful, that's the whole purpose of that book is just to bring hope, to bring light and uh, healing to many hearts, broken hearts of other moms and it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't easy, but it was very therapeutic. Like I said, writing about your grief is very therapeutic. Change the subject just a moment here. I noticed when I looked through uh, what information I found about you and the situation that took place, I found it very sad, of course. But I saw one like that you start talking about, and I don't know if it's been completed yet. That was Alina's Law. Has that been done? Has the politics mm. started moving, or are you still stuck in a in a holding pattern? We're stuck. We're stuck in this uh, what is wrong, crazy world. What is wrong with people not recognizing the fact that exactly. there is this exactly, Joe. violence is that goes on every day? Exactly. 
So it uh, it passed the Senate in 2017, two months after Alina. It passed the Senate and it's stuck in the House. Pennsylvania um, House of State Representatives is stuck there. And that bill uh, has expired. Oh, okay. So it has, and it just like recently, it's been reintroduced for oh. the next term, the next two years. And uh, you just asked, <laughs> yesterday, only yesterday, um, our board members, we had a meeting with, uh, with uh, Pennsylvania Senator Jay Costa, who sponsored that bill in the first place in 2017. And uh, we discussed and uh, he gave us some advice and, um, and we'll see what will happen after. We're not gonna give up. We're not going to uh, drop the mm -hmm. ball, so to speak. And we do everything possible in our power. We, we try to talk to state representatives. We keep calling them, we keep emailing them, but obviously none of our calls get answered. None of our emails get responded. And I don't know why, like, like I don't know. They are too busy or have no idea. Have well, no idea. It's not a hot topic all of a sudden. It gets put aside and then they don't think about it anymore. And that's my yes. opinion. That's just yes. my opinion. And 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 I mean I incur I mean I just pray that that you will do something that I know that a lot of people you know you can show the world then that it's possible that they can put some meat to that uh you know domestic yes, violent is. issue because it really yes, is it not is. much there yeah with perseverance you know the change will eventually happen in your book in chapter 22 you talk about forgiveness and uh i'm wondering how easy is that because i remember mm -hmm. um my parents were murdered in front of me when i was 12 and it took me over maybe 20 years to forgive mm -hmm. What does forgiveness look like for you in, in, in just four years? Um, yeah, that's a tough topic to, uh, uh, to discuss. Not really tough, like can't explain into words. Uh, it took a while. It took me and my family a while to make a shift. Uh, at some point, it brought us peace. So we were able to continue move forward in life and do things for our daughter to we open nonprofit organization. So our mind was not distracted by that negative energy, so to speak. We were focused on love to Alina and uh, on everything we were doing to honor her life and to keep her memory alive. If it makes sense, I hope. It does. Yes. I know you're still grieving. It's very obvious. I can see it in your face and your and how you're talking because it's uh it's right there. It's right behind your, you know, everywhere you, you are. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I mean, and it's people okay. have to recognize the fact that this it's is not okay. this is a lifelong issue there, not an issue, but a lifelong change. Journey. Yep. And yes. you know, I I I I pray sincerely that you. you continue to keep and find this peace that you have found and that you're working so far for. And I just know 
from what you told me, and I get goosebumps thinking about it. She's there. She's right there with you. And I mean, I'm one of those who believe with you a wholehearted that there is a place. People will call it heaven. I don't know what the realm is. Uh, And you still need to find her. And you will. I honestly believe that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ellie. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That was our guest, Ellie Shahid. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studio in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com. 